119. We're going to be turning there this afternoon to verse 81 of Psalm 119. The cuff portion of the psalm. <clears throat> that will bring us through halfway the, the psalm. So it will be 11 other messages left on this psalm. But even before we read the text, let me ask you this. Have you ever burned a midnight oil studying to the point that your eyes were hurting? Have you ever done that? Um, I remember Gracie is uh, really the only one of our kids that would do that. Um, and, and she would, you know, she, oh, I don't know anything. And then she was like 4.0 for the whole uh, time in high school. Tina would do that every once in a while because she would not start studying to the day before uh, stuff. So that was there. I remember uh, when I was in Brazil, uh, finished high school, and uh, it used to be that at the end of high school, you had to take a big qualifying test to see if you could go into college. Not like the SAT. The SAT, you can flunk, still get to go to college there. This test called vestibular decided whether you actually would be allowed into any college. And you had to take specific for your area. So uh, I, I took for chemical engineering, and it consisted of uh, a battery of tests. You had to be tested in every area. So uh, math, physics, chemistry, you would expect those three. But English, world history, Brazil, Brazilian history, literature, world literature. And every, every subject had to be tested. It would be several days, eight to five, that would take these tests. And your life depended on it. Uh, you, you know, if you if you failed it, you might as well just you know curl up and die because that's the that's the end of it. You don't get to go to college, and which is a huge deal if you're middle class or upper class in in Brazil. And I remember staying you know to the wee hours of the morning studying for that that test. You know, the and what happens? The words on the page they start to dance. You know, I don't know if you've ever noticed that, you feel like you have sinned in your eyes, and uh, things are just not uh, working like they should be. And this is really where we find the psalmist this afternoon. His eyes are tired because he's been constantly looking for comfort in the Word of God. And he's doing that because he's in the midst of affliction. We see that this is a common theme in the book, this whole chapter, chapter 119, where the psalmist is going through affliction. As a matter of fact, we can say that affliction gave occasion to the psalm. Affliction is what caused him to write uh, this poet poem, this, this, this long song, this, this acrostic poem to the Word of God and the God of the Word because he was being afflicted. And uh, that's, again, this particular stanza it was written because he was being afflicted in his life. So let us read, starting at verse 81. My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. My eyes fail from searching your word, saying, When will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in smoke, yet I do not forget your statutes. How many are the days of your servant? When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? The proud have dug pits for me, 
which is not according to your word, to your law. All your commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help me. They almost made an end of me on earth, but I did not forsake your precepts. Revive me according to your loving kindness, so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father, we pray that you'd speak to us, that you would point us to Christ, even as we look at this passage for us in Jesus' name. Amen. You see here in verse 81 that uh, he's praying for salvation. My soul faints for salvation. But salvation here is not salvation in the sense that uh, you get saved and go to heaven. That's not the idea of being justified, being declared righteous before God, and to have fellowship with God forever. Salvation here is in the sense of deliverance from affliction. We can say that the psalmist is praying that the Lord would rescue him, and he's, he's, he's struggling with this affliction, the point of fainting with longing for God's deliverance. Perhaps we could say that he's worn out with longing for God's deliverance for the particular affliction. And some of us may be in that boat where for a long time now, we're asking for the Lord to deliver us from a particular affliction in our life. And uh, uh, we are worn out of doing that. And yet uh, every ounce of our being longs for that uh, deliverance. But here, even in weariness, even in fainting, even in being worn out with longing, the psalmist continues to hope in the word of God and the God of the word. Again, verse 81 says, My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. And because he, his hope is in the word of God, he looks for, for comfort in it. That's where his hope is. So he goes into it to find comfort. And he says in verse, verse 82, My eyes fail from searching your word, saying, When will you comfort me? He does so to the point, he searches for comfort in the Word of God, to the point that his eyes get tired of looking at the Word of God. He's, he's, he's so confident that God is going to comfort him through the Bible that he spends every moment he's able to do searching for that comfort in the Word of God. And let me ask you this, is that you? Is that us? Are our eyes so tired because we just can't stop looking for comfort in the Word of God? Are our eyes uh, sandy because we spend so much time reading this book? When in the midst of afflictions do we turn to the Word of God for comfort? And, And when we do that, do we keep at it till our eyes are tired of looking for comfort in it? Brothers and sisters, do you look to God for your comfort? Is God your comfort? He is objectively our comfort and comforter, but is He subjectively your comfort? The Lord Jesus Christ says that the Holy Spirit is our helper, our comforter, and that He is going to testify of Him. The Spirit Spirit who is God is the one who comforts us, And he comforts us by testifying of Jesus, which is what the Word does. Are you finding Jesus as you read the Bible? Because that's the great comfort that we have, is in Jesus Christ. And as we read this passage, we see that this psalmist is not doing well. 
He is like a wine skin that has been over the fire and is now blackened and shriveled up. In verse 83, it says, For I have become like a wine skin in smoke. One of the commentators I looked said, Well, it means that uh, he's purified and the wine tastes better. So that's not the context here. This guy is in despair and he's. Uh, the word escaped me. When you put something close to the fire, singed, he's singed with uh, the flames of affliction. This is not a good thing. Now, he, 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 you can smell the smoke of affliction on this guy. And he's losing his patience with the perceived delay on God's justice. In 84, he says, How many are the days of your servant? When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? He's getting impatient with God. He says, God is taking too long for, to, do, to do what I want him to do. Now, I know that we never felt that way in our entire life, right? but there's some people that do, that feel like that God is not acting as quickly as he should, and that he's not doing uh, um, what we, th- we think he should be. Have you ever thought, if I were God, I would not do things this way? And to what we usually say, we should say what? Praise the Lord that you're not God. Because God is God and we're not. And he knows what he is doing. But he's not doing well. You can see in verse 87, his enemies almost killed him. He says, they almost made an end of me on the earth. So he desperately, so he's impatient. He's in the bad spot. He's in the brink of despair. And yet, in his despair, he cries out in verse 86, help me. He says, all your commands are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help me. In his despair, in his struggle, in his not doing well, he runs to God, not away from him. Even though he is impatient with God, he runs to God, begging him to be his help. And this is the God that tells us he's a very present help in time of need in Psalm 46. This is the God who is our Ebenezer, our stone of help, the one that shows that he is our help, and he goes to him for that. And it is clear that whatever affliction he is going through, it is happening because he obeys the word of God. In verse 83, it says he is like a wineskin in smoke, but he has not forgotten God's statutes in verse 86. He says that the, these people are persecuting him because he's faithful to his, his commands are faithful. In verse 87, the second half, he says that even though the enemies almost killed him, he has not forsaken his enemies. So whatever affliction he's going through is because he's obedient to the word of God. Isn't that against what, uh, isn't that against Osteenian philosophy? Joe Osteen, right? If oh, if you believe in God, you're going to live your best life. Now, the Psalm 119 says, "What? I am in affliction. I am in the pit of despair because I obey your word, not instead of it." And you know that why that's the case? Because we live in a world that's against God. We fail to recognize that. We tend to think that the world is our friend, or at least neutral. And yet, we live in a world that's actively against God. Therefore, an attempt to live faithfully to the Word of God is going to result in affliction in the hands of the world. But we can cry out, help me, Lord, and He's always going to answer to the cry for help 
in the mouth of his people because he is faithful. God's covenant faithfulness is the comfort of the psalmist. In verse 88, he says, Revive me according to your loving kindness. That's our favorite word again there, at least my favorite word. Uh, that's our special word that we saw this morning. We find our precious word again, hesed, covenant faithfulness, tender mercies, loving kindness, steadfast love. God's eternal covenant faithfulness assures the psalmist and assures us that God will get him through the afflictions that have overcome him for obeying God. God is going to get him through those afflictions. God is going to get them through his trials. If you had any counseling with me, you have we've discussed 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says that no temptation is overtaken you except what's common to men. Right? We don't deal with stuff that we can't deal with. We're not, we're not being tested or tried by things that are superhuman. It's the garden variety human struggle that we have. But not only that, it's a struggle that other people have and have gone through and God has been faithful to them. And then the, the verse continues by saying, God is faithful. That He's not allowed you to be tested, tempted, tried beyond what you can bear. So whatever it is, whatever affliction we're going, including the affliction of the psalmist, are not things that we can't bear. God's not going to let us be tempted. So if you feel like you're to the point of an affliction, the point that you're about to give up, don't. Because God tells you, He's not giving you anything more than what you can bear. And then the verse continues. And... With the test, trial, temptation, God also gives you a way of escape that you may be able to bear in it. Not out of it, but in it. So God listens to the cry for help because His covenant's faithfulness. He's not going to, He's not, hasn't given us anything that we can't bear. And even then, He's faithful to the point of giving us a way of escape so we can bear in the affliction that He has given us. God wants to be, the, the, the psalmist here wants to be revived in his faith and commitment to God so that he can continue to obey God. In verse 88, he says, revive me according to your loving kindness that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. God, your covenant faithfulness to me is what's going to revive me. Not a change in the circumstances, not a, not a necessary stop of the, of, of the afflictions, but a re revival of knowing that you're faithful to me, regardless of whatever else is happening, that revives me. That causes me to keep on going. So what is, brothers and sisters, what is the comfort that the Christian receives from God? What is the comfort that a Christian receives from God? Well, the, 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 the greatest comfort is this. I, you, belong to Jesus. The Heidelberg Catechism says that I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Whatever affliction you're going through right now, you belong to Jesus. Whatever turmoil is going on, you belong to Jesus. That is your comfort in life and in, in death. You belong to Jesus. To Jesus. But there's more comfort that we see from God. 
God forgives my sins and defeated the devil. Are you comforted by that? Your sins are forgiven. But pastor, look at my life. Look at the afflictions. Look at the persecution. Look at the things that are happening in the hands of my own family. Your sins are forgiven. That's great comfort. Regardless of what else is going on. Not only that, the Satan's been defeated. He cannot have his way with you. The, cate- the catechism goes on to say, Who, that is Jesus, with his precious blood, has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from all the power of the devil. And Christian, there is even more comfort. Having redeemed us, now Christ preserves us. The Catechism says, And so he preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head, yea, that all things must work together for my salvation. Whatever is going on in your life is designed by God. It is designed by God so that you can arrive at the end. So that you can get to the end and fall into Jesus' arms will declare to you that you did well because you're a good and faithful servant. Not because of your own goodness or your own faithfulness, but because Christ, who ran the race before you, is faithful on your behalf. And our comfort comes also in knowing that because He preserves us, we will arrive at the end. The Catechism also says, Wherefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. This is the comfort of God to the believer. That's the comfort that the psalmist was looking for. And he could only see it, he could only see it in shades, in shadows, because the full revelation of Christ wasn't there. But you and I, brothers and sisters, can see it fully, because we have the complete revelation. We belong to Jesus. That's our only comfort in life and in death. He's redeemed us. He, persevere, he preserves us, therefore we can persevere to the end. And we are assured that we're going to see Him face to face, for we will be like, like Him at the resurrection of the last day. That's our comfort. And that doesn't matter what else is going on in life, that comfort is true. The faithfulness of God in His covenant promises to us to be our God and for us to be His people now and forevermore. Let us pray together. Father, we thank You for Your covenant faithful to us. Help us to receive great comfort from Your promises to us, great comfort from our belonging to Jesus and persevering to the end. We thank You that You're good to us, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, and we say, Amen.